Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. It's really quite something to be doing this from, on the one hand, I suppose, the comfort of my own home, and on the other hand, not in studio. This is so strange. It is a strange time. I think everybody will agree that it is an unusual time. Most of you typically listen to this while you're in the car, I think, and now you're not in the car. (laughs) Most people are not in the car. And if you are in the car, make sure that it's just a a quick run to wherever it is that you have to get to and try and stay home as much as possible because this is unprecedented and this is strange and this is something we don't really know how to deal with. But here we are. Here we are in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. I'd love to hear if, uh, I don't know how it all works, if I can get to even see your messages. I don't know if that works. I've never done this before, this remote show, but it is fresh thinking and we always like to think out of the box. So here's an opportunity to do things a little bit out of the box and I thought it would be that important because there are two things happening right now. The one is the actual virus and the other is the state of emotion and the state of mind around the virus. So I think it's important for us to dig into Jewish resources and think, how should we be thinking at a time like this? And more specifically, I wanted to talk today about how we can get into a positive headspace when there seems to be so much doom and gloom around us. I almost feel that the first thing we should do is stop reading those WhatsApps (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you know exactly what WhatsApps I'm talking about, where people spread first the misinformation, and then even if they spread accurate information, it's always the negative information. I think that's the first thing we've got to do. Let's rather share positive things. Everybody's spending so much time on their WhatsApp right now. Let's spread positive messages, not just the jokes and memes, because those are fun, but there are meaningful, positive messages that we could and should be sharing with each other at this time because it is actually a mitzvah to lift people's spirits and it is actually a mitzvah to create a sense of optimism that's not to be confused with the sense of recklessness. There are clear directives that are non-negotiable in terms of how we need to behave right now. There are clear directives in terms of social distancing and they are not to be played with. In fact, it's at a time such as this that you could say the medical fraternity becomes the halachic authority. If they tell us that this is what we have to do to keep safe, we are obligated by Torah to follow those things. Remember that Judaism considers life to be the most important thing that exists to the extent that we put mitzvahs on hold and we override laws of the Torah in order to, in, in order to be able to, uh, to keep alive, to keep people alive. That's what, that's what we're dealing with right now. That's what we have to deal with right now. This is a critical time. It is as important to add life to our living as it is to keep ourselves alive. So I think that the first thing to do is stop spreading the negative. Let us find meaningful, positive, uplifting things to share. And if you do have, Go ahead and share those with us. 34519 is our WhatsApp number. You can always tweet, as many people like to do, at Chai FM, at Rabbi Shish. What are your thoughts? What's keeping your chin up? What's helping you to remain positive? Today, we're going to speak about how you stay positive in the face 
of such a an overwhelming and difficult period of time. I'd love to hear your thoughts. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Okay, so things are working just a little bit differently today, but they're still working. And I know, I know 100% that we are all very attached to our devices right now, especially if you're sitting at home with kids. By the way, gather the kids around the old wireless and let them join Chai FM. Why not? There's, I mean, I know they have schoolwork and Zoom classes and all those things, but I also know that we're on WhatsApp groups and we're sending messages like never before. So in that case, here's your invitation to be part of this conversation. You can SMS 34519 or send a message on Telegram on 0618951019. Or you could tweet at Chai FM. You could tweet me directly at Rabashish. We need to find a way to create optimism and positivity at this time. It's a difficult time. Let's not undermine it for one second. Let's take a moment. And say a prayer for those who have contracted the disease and need a refuah shalema. They need a speedy recovery. And maybe the little bit of Torah that we learn together in this hour can also help them on their journey to recovery. And please, God, it should be easier and swifter than they had expected. And please, God, we shouldn't see more cases because it's uh, it's the kind of thing that we can. We can nip it in the butt. So that's our first piece of positivity. You know, it reminds me a little bit, and I don't mean to be flippant. This is... Not flippant. It's not a flippant time. It's not a flippant subject. But it does remind me of one of the key teachings that any Chabadnik of the 20th and 21st century will know intimately. And that goes back to 1977 uh, on the eve of Shmini the second last night of the holiday season that starts with Rosh Hashanah, goes through Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and then you have Shmini Atzeres, and then you have Simchas Torah. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe was with the crowd and they were celebrating and in the midst of all of that had a severe heart attack. And there were various stories that happened, various anecdotes that happened during that period after his heart attack and during the treatment phase where the doctors insisted on one attitude and approach and the Rebbe insisted on a different attitude and approach. So on one particular occasion they wanted to to take the, the Rebbe to hospital or to give a particular treatment. I don't remember offhand the detail. And the doctors were quite insistent and the Rebbe was quite resistant. And eventually the doctor said, you, you have to understand that if you do not follow this course of action, there is a 30% chance that you will have a recurrence of the heart attack. And the Rebbe didn't respond. And the doctor said, did you hear what I said, to which the Rebbe responded, I didn't, of course I heard what you said. You said that even without that course of action, there is a 70% chance that I'll be fine. So that's not an excuse, and not for one second. None of us is a Rebbe that we should start saying, I'm not going to take the precautions. No, we have halakhic guidelines. We are going to follow exactly what the medical fraternity tells us, and some of it will be very inconvenient, and that's just the way it is. And I think the example that our community has set by closing shuls for shul services is a very powerful message that has never happened in this country before, not under the threat of anything. That we've shut our shuls across the board. So you must know how serious this is. Yet at the same time, it's 
equally important for us to also be positive. So there is a chance of spread in the community, and we need to be optimistic that there is equally a chance of stopping that spread. If we are responsible and we do what we should, there is the opportunity to stop the spread. We're fortunate. People always joke about the fact that South Africa is behind the rest of the world. Well, here it's a good time to be behind the rest of the world because we have insight from other people and other communities and their mistakes, and we can, please God, not repeat those mistakes. And it all depends literally on on you, <laughs> on you and me. That's who it depends on. I shared earlier this week with my community that there's a fascinating teaching from the Rambam, Maimonides, where he says, at all times, a person should imagine that the world is in perfect balance between good and bad. And at all times, you should imagine that you are in perfect balance between good and bad. And the next choice that you make will tip the scale either in a positive or, God forbid, in a negative direction. That's how important your next choice is. And generally speaking, when we learn that, it sounds quite abstract and spiritual. And does the world really hang in balance? Well, right now, yes. Literally, actually, the, the world is in balance and our next choice or decision, if we choose to do the inconvenience of self-isolation, social distancing, thorough hygiene, limiting the amount that we go out, canceling all our social events, just like that, skipping the gym and finding a way to work out at home, that, that's literally going to make a difference. It literally can save the world. So there's there's this optimism. We have the opportunity now. We are not in the same position as the rest of the world. That's not to say we can't land up in that position, but we are currently not in that position. So we have an incredible opportunity on our hands, and think of it this way. Imagine if somebody came over to you, and I think there are some people who live in that fantastic world where they imagine themselves one day as the, the superhero of some epic movie. Well, here's your time. Because imagine if somebody came along and told you, you have the opportunity to save the lives of an entire village, to save the lives of an entire neighborhood. Imagine how, wow, you would embrace that absolutely. What do I have to do? Give me the crazy weapon that I've got to use. What amazing, heroic thing do I have to do? Actually, nothing. Just really wash your hands well, stay away from people, and do online shopping. And you could literally save lives. It's an incredible way to look at things. So rather to feel we're, we're powerless, and that's definitely a big part of what's making everybody so nervous, and it's a big part of what I think we should be talking about today, is people feel powerless and people feel terribly insecure when they don't have control over something, especially in the modern world, because we've been fed a diet of we are in control you get to control everything. I mean, if you want to eat something, it's not like the old days where you had to wait a period of time. You pop it in the microwave and there you go. We have the illusion. I mean, look at children. You'll remember very well if you're over a certain age, you know, the age where you still know the association between a pencil and that funny looking thing, that's, uh, that, that relic that has two spokes in it and some kind of a film that goes between it that's your, that, that you get told is a tape. A tape cassette or a cassette tape. So if you're, if you're old enough to know what the association is between a pencil and a cassette tape, then you're old enough to know what it is to take a photo and not know what the photo looks like until possibly three weeks later. 
when you took it to a place to be developed. Kids today don't understand that. Kids today, they, they take a picture and they want to see immediately what the picture looks like. So we have this illusion of control. It's being fed into our minds, this illusion of control. So suddenly there's something that we're totally not in control. That's a problem. And we feel very, very uncertain because of it. We feel very unseated. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and whether we'll have a Pesach Seder. So that's why it's important for us to find wisdom within Judaism of how you stay optimistic and how you stay positive and how you stay in a good headspace. In this kind of time, I really would like to hear if you have thoughts on a three, four, five, one, nine. That's our SMS line. Still works, even though I'm not in the studio. I'm in my little isolation room. You can also send a message on Telegram, oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine, or you could tweet at Chai FM, or you could tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Just seen, and you may have seen the article as well, that Venice, which of course is that romantic city and that great tourist trap. I've never been there, but they say that right now in Venice, because the tourism has died completely, that it's the first time in who knows how many decades that the water is clear. <laughs> How's that for a thought? I know there are many people who will tell you that in certain parts of China they've seen the sun for the first time in as long. I don't know if that's true or not. And there will be people who tell you, yes, the earth is getting to breathe because we're all locked up inside our houses. And maybe that's where people are finding their optimism and their positivity. But as Jews, we find our optimism from a different perspective. It's a really big challenge. What we're dealing with right now I'm, I'm talking mentally, psychologically. What we're dealing with right now is is a really, really big challenge. And that's the challenge of who do you trust? Who do you control? Uh, here's Mike. Mike sent a message. See, it does work. You can send a message via Telegram and I still get your messages. Thanks, Mike. Mike says, if you take time out now to clean the cupboards before Pesach, you might save a marriage. Mike, I love your optimism. I just want to tell you this. Our family has been in self-isolation already for just short of a week. And let me tell you something. I don't think we've ever been so Pesach ready as this year because that's exactly what's happened. And it's not just to keep your Shalom bias. It's actually to get your whole household on board. Now the schools went and sent the kids schoolwork, so it's a little bit different. So there you go. You see you can find the upside in everything. One of the things that we're told as Jewish people that we are always supposed to work on, and you need to know this, that whatever is valuable in life is always elusive, and whatever Judaism teaches is usually counterintuitive. So I'll give you an example. Obviously, you appreciate that things in life that are valuable are elusive. Uh, uh, they, they take a lot of work, right? They're they're elusive. They're difficult. We know that. Obviously, that's why gold is valuable and diamonds are valuable because they're difficult to get to and difficult to process. But the fact that Judaism is often counterintuitive, don't know if we always think about that. So here's one example. Let's say you're in the retail industry. Judaism comes along and says, if, if you close your business. On the one day of the week, when most people are out there shopping retail, your business will do well. That's counterintuitive. That's the promise and the blessing of Shabbos. Another example. Judaism says that if you take 10% of your earnings and you distribute that to those in need, you will land up having more wealth. 
Now that's counterintuitive. If you told me that you took a portion of your money and you invested it or you took a portion of your money and you saved it, then you'd be more wealthy. What's that principle? What do they call it? The richest man in Babylon, I think was the book. Somebody can, I'm sure, remind me where he says that the first principle of financial security is always pay yourself first. Well, Judaism comes along and says, no, 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 no. Always tithe first. Always give tzedakah. Aser te aser. That's the verse. The verse says aser, 10%, give 10%. Te aser, definitely give 10%. And the Talmud immediately says, you know that the Torah is written without vowels and you know that the same word te'aser, if it has the dot moved from the left to the right, it will read te'asher, or tit'asher, basically, you will become wealthy. That's counterintuitive. It's absolutely counterintuitive. You tell me, I'm going to give money to people who are not earning, people who are not productive, you can be all judgmental about it, and from that I'm going to make money? It sounds counterintuitive. So, yes, that's, that's how Judaism is. Likewise, Judaism has this counterintuitive approach that says life should be besimcha. Life should be joyous. Now that's counterintuitive. It's like, do, do you not understand the problem? Do you not understand what's going on over here? I mean, we're currently in lockdown as a community. We're not, our kids are not at school. Think about this for a second. It's not a hurricane. It's not a blizzard. It's not an earthquake. Our kids are not at school. Our shuls are not operational. And you're telling me I should be besimcha very early on in all of this. When uh, the, the whole quarantine thing was just introduced as a protocol here in South Africa, which is a f- just less than a week ago. It feels like a century ago. So somebody asked the question. We're in the month of Adar. Adar is the month of Purim. It's the month of celebration. It's the month of joy. How can – this is the question somebody posed. How can you be joyous in quarantine? Okay, look, it was a theoretical question to me at that point because I don't know what it's like to be in quarantine. Certainly didn't know what it's like to be in quarantine with the whole family, with kids bored out of their woods. Thank God we live in South Africa because I think that at least here we have good weather. The kids can get out a little bit even while they're in quarantine. And thank God we have big walls around our houses. So even when you go outside, you're still considered inside. So you're still in quarantine and you can breathe and you can do some physical exercise. But still, it was a theoretical concept, and I was like, I'm sure there's a way that you could be besimcha even in quarantine. And then, Dafka, the next morning, we had to tell our kids that because I had been overseas and just returned, we all had to go into quarantine. And you should have seen their faces, and you can learn so much from children. They had just been told, think about this for a second, they had just been told that all of their plans for the foreseeable future had been cancelled. Because what are kids' plans? You know, you go to school. And then you come back and you do homework and you have some extra murals and then there's a weekend and maybe on the weekend you get to do something fun if you don't have extra lessons or if you don't have soccer practices. So suddenly they were told, you can imagine this, they, they, they woke up in the morning and they were told basically you can go back to bed. Nothing's happening. Today. You're not going anywhere today or actually for the next uh, while, maybe the foreseeable future. And they were like jumping up and down and dancing and they, they were the happiest people I know and I know the cynical part of me says because they didn't know what was coming and they didn't know what it was going to feel like a week in are you sure we can't go out just somewhere take us for a drive in the car please something and then the school sent work they didn't see that coming but the point is that their natural and instinctive approach was a joyous approach they were I mean for adults just just 
picture this for a second. If you, you woke an adult up and you said to them, listen, you can't go to work today and you can't go out of the house and you can't go to gym and we don't know what we're going to do about shopping because that's pretty much what they told us, right? Natural response is fear. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage everything? I had that appointment. I've got to cancel it. I have this important meeting. What am I going to do about it? <coughs> there's, there are places to go, things to do, people to see. I have a schedule. The world's going to leave me behind. We go straight into panic. Kids, straight into celebration. They don't think about what's going to happen tomorrow and how it's going to pan out. It's a fascinating thing. Kids have this ability to live in the now, for which reason we're told. If you think about it, the default position of humans is joy. Look around at children and you will see that. How they find joy and everything. I mean, a colleague of mine, just before the show, actually, I was chatting to him and he says, he walks outside into his garden because now all the kids are home, right? He walks outside into his garden and he finds that his, one of his children had taken a sledgehammer and had impaled some kind of, I don't know what, at strategic places in the garden and made holes in his garden. And he called the kid up and he said, what are you doing? He says, I've made a putt-putt course. <laughs> Isn't that typical? Isn't that how children behave? Let's see the opportunity to make a putt-putt course out of the fact that we're stuck at home. The default position of humans is joy, and then we grow up. So it's at a time like this that we have to reach back into Jewish resources and say, how do you find simcha? How do you find joy? If you've just joined us, this is Fresh Thinking. We do this every Thursday, but usually I do it in studio. Now, because of the coronavirus, we are all, all the presenters are working via Skype. I hope it comes through clearly and that there's not too much lag. Your conversation is always welcome. 34519, if you would like to send an SMS, you can send a message via Telegram on 0618951019. And you can tweet. You can tweet me directly at Ravashish. You can tweet the station at Chai FM. This is Rabbi Shishla. This is Fresh Thinking. And we are talking about how do you keep your chin up? How do you find optimism and positivity at a time where everybody is stockpiling toilet paper? How do you keep your head right? So I think it's helpful for us to know that the default setting of the human being is Simcha and children teach us that. It is also helpful and maybe a little bit challenging, I suppose, to know that Judaism insists on Simcha. It's how we're supposed to think. It's how we're supposed to be. It's how we're supposed to look at the world through a prism of simcha. We're told, Ivdu es Hashem simcha. You're supposed to serve God in joy. But it's not only when you serve God. You're supposed to be joyous all the time. <clears throat> That's what we're taught. All the time. You're supposed to be in a joyous disposition. In Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, it tells us, Toi v'leiv, it's a quotation from King Solomon, Toi v'leiv mishte tomit, that a person should have a good heart and always look for the opportunity to celebrate. It's incredible to imagine that that is even feasible because we have been taught that life is tough, things are challenging. You know, you speak to people, say, how are you? And people say, no complaints. <laughs> Why is that the frame of reference? No complaints. The Jewish response is, Baruch Hashem. Thank God. The, the, the Jewish response is, things are good. And, and there's a reason why. And this is where it becomes counterintuitive. See, counterintuitive is, anybody will tell you in any faith that you should have faith 
in God. And that's appropriate. Faith in God means he's got this. I'm sure by now you have had at least, at least one WhatsApp message with a beautiful poem or a beautiful image that says, I like this one, that says, when you wash your hands, remind yourself whose hands you are in. And there are many like that that are doing the rounds. So it's common across every religious faith-based philosophy that you have to have faith in God. Faith in God, he's got this. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. He's slowed us down. He's switched off the human-driven part of the world for a while, or at least put it down to skeleton staff, and allowed the natural part of the world perhaps to take over. And we don't like that because we like to be in control. So faith says God has this. He knows what he's doing. He will make decisions that we don't like, but we shouldn't question those decisions because he knows better. And that's appropriate. That's a faith-based attitude, and it's an appropriate attitude. Judaism says that's only step one of the process. Now, to have faith in God takes effort, it takes focus, and it's not natural for many people. This is going to take work. Nothing compared to the work of what Judaism expects in step two. We say this, it's probably one of the most popular songs in the, uh, call it the 80s, 90s Jewish music genre. But the words are ancient. The words go back to King David. Baruch hagever asher yiftach bahashem. Blessed is the person who trusts in God. Now, to have faith in God is one thing. To trust God, as the Dolable says, that's something else. Baruch hagever. There's a blessing that comes to that person who trusts in God. The wording of here is very, very specific. The difference between trust and faith is like this. When I was younger, we had, uh, my siblings and I had a thing that we did with my youngest brother. And we did it as a form of entertainment, actually. He was, I don't know, three, four years old at the time. He would stand ramrod straight. One of us would sit cross-legged in front of him. One of us would sit cross-legged behind him. And he would stand absolutely straight. And we would, we would just push him. And he would fall forward, knowing absolute one of us would catch him. And then whoever caught him would then push him back into an upright and then push him over. And the other person would catch him. Now, it was all very well, of course, when the person in front of him had to catch him because he could see but the person behind him, that was an act, not of faith. That was an act of trust. That's a moment of trust. If you're willing to fall backwards because you're that certain that the person is going to catch you, you have shifted from faith to trust. Faith would be to say, I believe that the person behind me has the best idea of how this should pan out. So if the correct thing and the best thing for me is that they catch me, they will catch me. But if the best thing for me is that they let me fall because perhaps there's a lesson to learn, I'm not going to like it, but I have faith. Trust is, I'm not afraid for a second because I know absolutely without question that he's going to catch me. Baruch hagever asher yiftach bahashem. Blessing comes to the person who trusts in God. Not the person who has faith in God. I'm not saying there's no blessing for the person who has faith in God. But then again, when you have faith and you don't feel the need to trust. In other words, when you're standing straight, you don't need to trust 
you don't need blessing. It's when you're falling that you need blessing. Because you're falling. When life is falling apart, that's when you need brocha. And here's the counterintuitive part. The way that you get that brocha is not through faith in God. The way you get that brocha is through trust in God. You need trust when you're falling. If you weren't falling, you wouldn't have to trust anybody else because you would feel secure. And this is the phenomenal philosophy of Judaism that is so difficult to apply and so powerful if you do. This philosophy says that when everything seems to become insecure, when the earth that I'm standing on is shaking, when the systems that I put my faith in, the markets, travel, the health system, the political structures, when they all seem incapable of helping me, well, then who do I trust? Who can I trust? Baruch HaGever Ashiftach Hashem. That's when the blessing comes to the person who can learn to trust Hashem at this time. Not to have faith that Hashem knows what He's doing. Not to become condescending and tell everybody, God is resetting the planet because we have abused it. We actually don't deserve to live on this planet the way that we have plundered its resources and polluted its air and eaten all the animals. It's coming back to haunt us. Look, there might be truth in that, but it's, I don't think this is a time for us to start wagging the, uh, you know, the parochial finger at somebody and saying, it's your fault. You deserve what you're getting. This is a time for us to say, we have time. We have time on our hands right now. More time than we usually have. Well, unless you're in the rabbinate, of course. <laughs> then, my gosh, have we been overwhelmed. People think, you know, you close a minion and suddenly the rabbi's on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So, but we do have a little bit more time to be introspective if we're locked up in this self-isolation. And part of that introspection is, do I trust God? Do I really trust God? Or am I just simply, you know, going through the motions and I like it when he does things that I appreciate and I, I enjoy the fact that he listens to my prayers sometimes. Do I trust him that he's going to get me through this? Or do I just sit back and have faith in whatever he decides is what will be? It's a totally different headspace. To have faith in God works. To trust in God is going to be tough. but so powerful. Love to hear your thoughts. 34519 if you'd like to send an SMS. Or you can send a message on Telegram. Oh, 61895101019. Or simply you have children jumping up and down on your head and you can't get to the phone in which case... Tell them to listen as well. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, Baruch HaGever, Asher Yiftach Bahashem. That's what King David tells us. And King David did not have an easy life. Let's be clear. I mean, wow. He, firstly, the rejection of his own family in his youth. Then the fact that the, the fellow who became his father-in-law after he vanquished one of the most uh, horrible villains of Jewish history, Goliath, his father-in-law wants to kill him. Then he has all the tzoros with his children. I mean, he did not have an easy life. And he says, Baruch HaGever, the brocha comes from Asher Yiftach Hashem when you have trust in God. There's a very interesting book called Choy Voice the Duties of the Heart. 
it's about uh, philosophy and ethics and how a person should view their position in the world and work on themselves and develop their character. And he has an entire section there dedicated to this principle, to this concept called bitachon, which, by the way, comes the word in Hebrew. How do you say, for sure, you say betach. How do you say security? Bitachon. So it's to be in a secure position, knowing that not only is God holding us, not only is God running this show, which is really important for us to remember because sometimes we feel virus, pandemic, it's as if something has taken on a life of its own. That's not a Jewish view. The Jewish view is that God is running the show. And God controls it. So bitachon, this trust, then you trust in God. Well, trust in God is not only to trust that he's running the show, but to trust that he has our best interests at heart. And he makes a very powerful statement, the Khoi Basalavavos. He says, if you do this, and if you can be that positive that God will make things good, not just that he will do what he thinks best, but that he will make things good, well, from that alone, things will turn out well. And you can obviously raise an eyebrow and say, why? Just because I want it that way? You don't always get what you want in life. How does this thing work? What is the technology and is it even real? Something to think about. There's a, a, a phrase, a saying from the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek. Tracht gut, vet sein gut. Think good and things will be good. It's quite a responsibility to take if you tell people if you think good, then things will be good. Why? Why should that work? Why? How, how should it work? And, and how am I supposed to do this right now where everybody's telling us it's just going to get worse? Things are going to be terrible. How am I supposed to switch my mind? So this concept of bitachon is like everything else. It's a mitzvah. You know, if you give tzedakah, it's counterintuitive, right, that you give tzedakah and you land up with more money. You speak to people, by the way, who practice this, and they will tell you it's not counterintuitive. They will tell you it's obvious because that is their life experience. If you don't open your retail on Shabbos, then you're going to still be in business. Doesn't sound right. It's counterintuitive. So how does it work? Well, there's a mitzvah to give tzedakah. And one of the benefits slash rewards for giving tzedakah is Hashem blesses you with financial success because it was difficult, because it was against your nature perhaps to give that tzedakah. You earn yourself the brocha of financial success. Because it is difficult to close that shop on a Shabbos when everybody else is telling you you are crazy, the retail business only works on a Shabbos, and, and you're going to for sure go insolvent. The reward for standing up to that challenge because it was so difficult is that your business succeeds. I have a member of our community who always tells us the story about how when they made that decision and it was not an easy decision, how their business just took off from there. And we're talking now some four decades later. Same thing. There is a mitzvah to trust in God, not just to believe in God, but to trust. The trust that Hashem is good. As we say in our prayers every day, Toiv Hashem Lakol, Hashem is good to all. Yes, there is suffering in this world. No, we will never excuse it. No, we will never philosophize it away. No, we will never accept it. But fundamentally, we believe that Hashem is good. And therefore, before something goes awry, we are required to believe that it will be good. Hard, yes. Very hard. 
It's a total mind shift. And that's exactly what he explains, this Chovah Salavavos. The reward for working through that, the reward for getting ourselves into a headspace of absolute trust in God, not that he is just, that he's got this, but that he will make it good, that changes our reality. That changes our reality. That creates that positivity. Where Hashem says, I see now that you trust me completely. Great. I'll reward you with that by giving you the bracha that you need. The healing for those people who are currently unwell. The protection for the rest of us against the disease. Please God, the cure for the disease. That, that's how it works. It's a very, very powerful methodology and it's very, very difficult to do. I often tell the story that there was a fellow who came, I believe it was, to the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. And he was absolutely distraught because his son was deathly ill and the doctors had given up hope. And he came to ask the Rebbe for a brocha and the Rebbe told him, unfortunately, there's nothing I can do for you. And when he walked out of the room, he was absolutely devastated. As you can well imagine, that had been his last hope. He was absolutely devastated. Now, the nature of Hasidim is that there's a lot of simcha in the world of Hasidim, a lot of joy. And there were other Hasidim who also came to see their Rebbe, and they also went in, and they came out, and they had received blessings, and they were very excited and happy. And when a group of them had gathered, they started to dance. And there was this guy, the stick in the mud, who was sitting on the side, looking totally despondent, who obviously didn't even have the energy at that point to go home. How do you go home? How does he go home and tell his, his family that the Rebbe couldn't even bless them? So these fellows were dancing, and he was sitting there, glum. But Hasidim don't tolerate that kind of thing very well. You know, if there's, if there's joy to be had, then everybody should partake. And so at some point when the dancing had become quite lively, they yanked this guy into the circle. And he protested, I can't, I can't dance right now. You understand what's going on in my life? I can't dance. But they didn't let go. And he had no choice. And he got schlepped. And there they go, circle after circle. And it's a funny thing, you know. When you are in a, a place of dance, of simcha and of joy, it's contagious. It's contagious. Big word in today's environment. And it spreads exponentially. And it overtakes you even when you thought that you were immune. And before he knew it, the guy lost himself completely in the dance and he actually started to sing and he actually started to dance. And he totally lost sight of his predicament. Out of the blue, the door of the Rebbe's room opens. And he gets summoned to go inside and thinks, oh my gosh, now I'm in trouble. What did I do? The Rebbe said he couldn't bless me and here I'm dancing like some kind of a mashugana. So what did the Rebbe say to him? I'll tell you in a moment. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. It is really one of my favorite stories. So here's this man and he's had this terrible news and his son is dying and the doctors can't help him. And he goes specially to his Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab and doesn't get an answer. Doesn't get an answer. Doesn't get a blessing. And he's despondent. And he's all down. And then he gets dragged into the circle of these wild dancing chassidim. And he can't help himself. And he starts to sing and dance with them. And the door opens. And he gets summoned back into the Rebbe's room. And he's shaking. What am I doing? I should have gone home. I should have, I mean, I should have taken the Rebbe's word seriously. Surely, isn't that why I came here? And he walks in and the Rebbe says to him, what did you do? 
what did you do? What did I do? I danced, I sang. And the Rebbe said to him, you have to understand that when you walked into my room originally, I could not see any way in which your son could be saved. Not medically, not miraculously. But you need to understand that our sages teach us that simcha, that joy breaks barriers. Now, joy is not, it's not funk. Joy is not hip hop. Joy is not loud blasting music. Joy is confidence and trust in God that I can let go of the things that I'm thinking that are so dark and negative. That's what happened to this fellow. He lost the fear. He lost the dread. He lost the pessimism. He lost the scenarios that he was playing in his head. And he just had pure simcha, pure trust. Like that little kid that you, you push backwards and he doesn't even flinch. He's got a smile on his face because he's 100% sure that someone's going to catch him. The Rebbe says to him, in that moment of your dancing, you were completely in Hashem's hands. You, you, you were no longer thinking yourself, your control, your reality. And so you escaped your reality. And I would like to now give you a blessing. Your son will have a full recovery. It's not easy. It's not easy to be optimistic. It's not easy to have trust. It's not easy to block out the noise. It's not easy to have simcha. But it is easy to try, to start, to use terminology that is positive. The Talmud tells us in the tractate of Pesachim, and by the way, people might have forgotten that Pesach is coming. In the tractate that speaks about Pesach, it tells us, always speak positively. We, we don't realize. We frame things in negative. It's going to get worse. We should frame things as we're getting through this. We should frame things as we are now a united world against a common threat. Never before. We should frame, frame things as we now have the opportunity to spend more quality time with our families. We now have the opportunity to deepen our relationship and trust in God. Speak positively. Read positive things. Share positive things. Not reckless things. Like I said at the beginning, the rules are the rules. We have to follow those rules. Social distancing, staying home, not going to shul, etc. But spread positive things, meaningful things. There's so much meaningful content coming out at the moment. We have the benefit of technology. You can listen to any person in the world who you find to be inspiring. Embrace that opportunity. And Simcha, Simcha starts with one step of a dance. It starts with one movement in a direction of there's what to be happy about. And there is. And there always is. As Viktor Frankl would always say, there were people in the worst places in Auschwitz and they had meaning to their life so they could find a reason to live in spite of everything that was going on around them. Sure, if they could do it then, we surely could learn how to do it now. And please God, our trust and our simcha will bring exactly the blessings that we need. Baruch HaGever Ashiftach Bashem. The blessing should come to us because we show that we trust in God. Because we show that we will not dissolve as a community in spite of our buildings being closed. In fact, if anything, we'll become stronger. And that strength will bring Hashem's blessing. Please God, turn this thing into the doorway to Mashiach. That should come sooner than we all expect. Have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos.
a quiet Shabbos, a healthy Shabbos. And please God, we look to the miracles that Hashem has in store for us.